What's up, guys? Is it, is it loud out there? It's loud up here. There's, uh, we were talking about this. We're getting this room kind of figured out sound-wise. So, um, guys, real quick, short little plug for the, the forward tree. I know we already plugged it, but here's the thing. So, Recab, um, met Recab a couple years ago, and basically from the moment I, I met him, I heard he was a good preacher, and I was like, yeah, he's probably great. But then I ended up listening to one of his sermons through the book of Ephesians. And actually, the very first sermon that he did through the book of Ephesians was him uh, coming out just like this. Uh, but didn't have anything. It was like, do you remember when Troy came into our fall retreat? Remember he came up on stage at the Angler and just all he had was coffee? Do you guys remember that? And they just told stories, yeah. It was like that, but it was different because it wasn't just stories. He came out with nothing and then he just quoted as his sermon the entire book of Ephesians. And it was incredible. One of the most amazing moments I've ever had, like watching a sermon on my computer. Like I wasn't even there, but I was like watching and I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. I need to figure out how to get this guy to come to our fall retreat. So anyway, tried really hard, couldn't get him, and finally got him. So he's coming. It's going to be awesome. If you guys don't sign up, um, it's your loss. It's going to be super, super, super awesome. But here's, here's where we are, guys. We're studying the book of Acts together. If you guys are new for the first time, that's kind of what we're doing for this fall. We're walking through this kind of story of after Jesus has lived the perfect life, he has died this death in our place, and now he's risen from the grave and actually didn't just rise from the grave, but actually ascended into heaven. Now he's basically empowered his followers with the Holy Spirit to go out into the world and basically continue his ministry here on earth with his life now inside of them. And, and here's kind of what's happened the last few weeks, right? The last two weeks ago, they kind of received the power of the Holy Spirit in this kind of unique way. And then last week, we kind of heard from Ryan, right? Back at the amphitheater, it's flooded by the way now, so it's a really good week for us not to be there. Um, so yeah, it was good timing. But here's, Ryan talked about like there's this community, right? He like creates this community that's kind of fueled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we kind of finally get to Acts 3, and this is what happens. There's now kind of 3,000 people who are part of this first church. It's a massive group of people. They're kind of sharing everything together. The Spirit is among them. They're receiving teaching from the apostles. And this is what happens next. Now, Peter and John, this is Acts 3.1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, and to ask alms, basically money that you give to people who are poor, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Because there's this guy and he asks these two apostles for some money. Now, before we kind of jump into the story, I want you to kind of picture this, this man, right? I want you to kind of look at him in, in your mind's eye. Uh, he is, or introduced to him by, as someone who has been lame from birth. So, so that means that it isn't just like something that's happened recently. Like this is basically the entire story of his life has been that he doesn't have the use of a very large part of his body. And, and it says that he's being carried, Okay, and so like as you read this, like you actually start to know a lot about this person. It isn't just that he's like, well, he has, he has a disability and he needs to be helped along or he, has, he, he needs a crutch or something. No, 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 he actually has to be carried. He can't do anything on his own. He has to be carried up these steps. Think about that. 
right? What would life be like if that was your situation? Maybe you know someone who is disabled to kind of this degree. Maybe you have even had a season in your life where you haven't been able to use parts of your body. But think about what it would be like to not be able to do anything on your own, right? When he is thirsty, someone else has to go and get him a drink. When he wakes up, someone has to actually come and lift him out of bed because he can't just get out of bed himself. When he has to go to the bathroom, someone has to come and help him do every part of that. And every day of his life, this man is carried by someone else to the gate of the temple to ask for money. What do his clothes look like? Right, try to imagine that, picture that. What do his clothes look like? What, what, is he, what does he look like as he's sitting there? Does he have a mat? Does he have a little kind of dish for money? What, and, and what do his legs look like? Because he's never, ever used them. Are they just skin and bones? Are they kind of like twisted? Are they gnarled kind of underneath his body? Are they kind of folded up? And here's the other question I think you should ask. If you're picturing this situation, you're putting yourself in this moment, right? It's Peter and John who are walking past him, but what do you do if you're the one walking past this guy? What do you do? And he asks you for money. And, and I don't mean this to be like, like a guilt trip or anything. I'm just really asking, like, what do you do in that moment? Like, do you kind of, you see him over there, you know he's going to ask you for money, and so you kind of get on the furthest side of the road you can, and you try to pass as far away from him as you can? Do you kind of, as you're passing, like, pretend like you can't hear him? Or maybe you just lie and you're like, hey, I don't have any money to give you. I don't, I don't have any money, um, even though you do have some money in your pocket. Or maybe you don't do that. Maybe you go, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to take some money and I'm going to give it to this guy. He clearly needs it more than I do, and so you give him some money. Or maybe you go even one step further than that, and you go, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to even give this guy money. I'm actually going to go to the McDonald's, the first century version of that, which I don't know what that is. But he, you go there. And, uh, you know, you get some food and you actually bring it back to him and you start to have this conversation with him. And so you're, you're treating him like you're kind of infusing this person who in society has kind of been diminished of all humanity. You're kind of infusing that back into him and you're, you're having this conversation with him and you're, you're feeding him and you're, you're hanging out or maybe you even go one step further than that and you're like, I'm actually going to be a part of this guy's regular life. You figure out where he lives and, and you figure out like, how do I sign up to be one of these people that carries this guy around? What do you do if, if you pass by this guy? And what have you done when you've passed by him in the past, right? Because this is like a kind of person, right? We have some of them in Iowa City. What, what have you done in the past when you've seen this person? Th this isn't meant as a guilt trip in any way. It's just like we know these kind of people, we've seen these kind of people, right? And we have experiences. And, and so I want you to get in that mode of like, what would it be like to, to be stepping in as Peter and John are about to interact with this person? Because I want you to see what they do. And it's really amazing. This is verse four. This is what Peter does. He says, hey, would you give me some money? Would you give me some alms? And Peter directed his gaze at him. So he looks at him intently, as did John and said, look at us. So it means that this guy, even though he's asking for money, like he's not even making eye contact with them, right? It's like someone who's like so low in society that they're like, hey, would you, would you give me some money? It's like they're still looking at the ground. It's like they recognize that these people who are walking by are kind of in this different social class than they are, and so they're not even looking at them. And so Peter says, look at us. 
And so he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is an absolutely unbelievable moment, obviously. This man was carried somewhere his entire life, and all of a sudden, he's not just, he doesn't just stand up, which he's never done that before. He isn't just walking, which he's never done that before. He's like leaping up and down with joy. What is happening in this moment? Well, obviously, this man has been healed, but there's something else that's happening in this scene, and it's something that's really important, actually, in the, the, the book of Acts, as we're kind of unfolding this theology of what does it mean now that Jesus isn't here, but his people are still here. But one of the things that this scene means, and one of the things that this story kind of evidences to us, is that Jesus is still alive. This story is like evidence to everyone there and to all of us reading it, Jesus is still alive. Because people who have been lame their entire lives, they do not just get better. People who are carried around don't all of a sudden leap for joy, but when they're near Jesus, they do. Right, the whole gospel of Luke, the first part of this two-part work of Jesus, the whole story of Luke is filled with interactions like this where Jesus comes up to someone and immediately their entire world is changed because they're in the proximity of Jesus. And now when Peter and John come upon this man with the risen Christ living inside of them, this man gets up and walks too. There's so much about this passage that's like parallel to the stories of Jesus healing people. Even actually the way it talks about how like Peter like fixed his gaze on him, like he looked intently at him. Like that's actually a similar way that Luke would talk about how Jesus would look at someone before he would heal them. And we're basically meant to see that like in this moment, Peter and John, they're like being Jesus to this man. It's like even though Jesus isn't standing there, it's, it's like he is standing there. And what happens next is, you know, what you'd think would happen. Like, people freak out, okay? Check this out, verse 9. And all the people, because this is like, it happens in public, right? They're just like, hey, rise up and walk. And the dude gets up, walks around, starts jumping for joy, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him, right? They knew this guy. They knew him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. Doesn't say his name. No one knows who he is. They just always see him. This was the guy who's always at the beautiful gate asking for money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all of the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. You might ask, what is a portico? It's not important. It's a part of the temple, okay? It's a section. You don't even know what it is. It's just part of the temple, okay? And here's what happens. People lose their minds, right? They go nuts. And it's exactly what would happen if we saw this, right? Like if someone walked up here who had this kind of this, this, this ailment and all of a sudden, boom, they're healed, we would freak out, right? We would absolutely freak out. It'd be absolutely incredible. They are amazed. They're in awe of what has happened to this man. And 
we're, we're going to keep transitioning in the story, but I wanted to stop for a second and talk about something that's it's not the main point of the story, but it's something I've been thinking about this, thinking about this week. And here's, here's the question I've been thinking about. Um, as Christians, and, and as someone who's a Christ follower, how, how in tune are you with the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? How, how, how like in tune are your ears to the Spirit's voice? How, um, how often are you kind of listening for the voice of the Spirit? Because this situation, right, before this man gets healed, there's nothing abnormal about this. Like this is the guy who, according to this story, he's at this gate every single day. He's always there. This isn't new. And actually, Peter and John have probably walked through this gate hundreds of times with this guy sitting right there. There's nothing abnormal about this moment, but the thing that's abnormal is in this specific moment, Jesus, who's alive, wanted to do something. And Peter and John, they're just, they just happen to be listening and in tune enough with the Spirit that they're actually able to hear that direction and then act in the world as Jesus' representatives. And so the question is, when you, when you walk through your normal day, are you asking for and listening for the Spirit's direction like this? Because they, they see him, but it isn't just that they see him, like they see him as Jesus sees him. It's like they're seeing him through the eyes of the Spirit. You know, the question for some of us, I think, is are, are, we, are we even asking for God to do something like this in our lives? Or are we almost purposefully kind of like closing our eyes to situations like this when they come up? Because maybe our schedules are a little too full to be bothered with kind of an, an intrusion like this. Here's what I think, and this is just for the Christians in the room. I think that Jesus is often speaking to us and I think Jesus is often giving us kind of direction in our lives. And I think that often we're just way too busy to hear it. We're just way too kind of focused on whatever it is. We've got our head kind of down, studying for this test or thinking about this thing, this anxiety we've got. And we're way too busy thinking about that to hear the voice of the Spirit saying, hey, look at this person. What situations would Jesus lead us into if we just opened our eyes a little more and started listening? I, I got a text from, from a friend the other day, and it was this really interesting text. And he's like, hey, uh, what do you think about the story? And he goes on to tell this story that he kind of heard at this, kind of this commercial, this Big Ten football game, with this guy who goes to school at another university. And he's like a walk-on at their kind of D1 football program. And this dude like has been a SEAL for six years of his life. He's a young kid. He's seen so much life in those six years. He's had in combat friends die. And he basically comes a walk-on to this football. He's never played football before. But this dude is just tough. And he's gritting his teeth. And he's like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And he's like doing it. Like he's a walk. And he, he sends me this whole story. And he's like, man, what do you think about this story? And I'm like, I, I don't know. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting story. Uh, it, he sounds like a really hard guy. He's seen some really difficult things in his life. And, and he, he texts me back and he says, I think I'm supposed to contact this guy. And, and I think I'm supposed to see if I can make a road trip out to visit him and maybe like share the gospel with him. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yes, you should do that. And I get this text and I'm like, dude, this is a guy who's in tune with the Spirit. 
right? It's like a commercial that goes out. Everyone sees it. Everyone hears it. And then this one person is just listening a little bit closer to the voice of Jesus in his life. And he goes, I think that the Spirit of God is saying, go road trip to a different state and meet this guy and share the gospel with him. How cool is that? Jesus saw the world differently than anyone else. And here's what's true. If we are going to be his witnesses, if we are going to live out his life in the world, then we need to be looking and listening for where he would lead us to go. Okay? Total side point. I just felt like it was important. Okay, back to the story. Ready? Peter and John. Okay? They hear the direction of the Spirit. They hear him say, get, tell this guy, get up and walk. And they do it. He gets up. He walks, jumping for joy. People are amazed. They are utterly astounded at what has happened rightfully so, and look what Peter says. This really caught me off guard the first time. Verse 12. And when Peter saw it, this crowd of people filled with wonder, filled with awe, filled with kind of this, this, this amazement at what's happened, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? He says, why are you amazed at this? Why are you impressed by this? Why are you standing in awe of this? And, and more than that, why are you looking at us as though it was by our power or our piety, like our holiness, that we have made him walk? And this is what he says. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And it is his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus Christ has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is such an amazing moment in the book of Acts, and we need to pay attention to what Peter is saying because this is a man who has just been healed. It's an obvious, unmistakable miracle. And it isn't one of those, you know, like those guys who, who comes and you're kind of like not sure if he's really done a miracle. Like he makes your grandma's leg like a little bit, you know, longer, it's too short or something. And you're like, ah, I, I think maybe you did something. You know what I'm talking about? Like my grandma had that once and her, her legs still hurts, but it's longer. I don't know. But like, you know, it's, it's not one of those things where you're like, ah, I don't know if something happened. Like, no, like. This guy was carried, like physically, he was carried around his whole life, and now he's leaping with joy. It's an absolutely incredible miracle. The entire temple is in an uproar, and word is traveling out of the temple all the way around Jerusalem, like immediately, right? Like they don't have Snapchat, so it's like word of mouth. It's just going out, but it's traveling almost as fast, right? It's amazing, and a crowd is gathering, and Peter says, why are you amazed by this? Why do you wonder and stand in awe of this? Instead, you should be amazed by the man whose name caused this man to stand up and walk. Why are you amazed 
by what happened to this man. Instead, if you knew what was going on, you would be amazed by what happened to Jesus. It's pretty stunning what he says. And what he does is he actually brings them back to what happened a few short weeks ago where Jesus was standing right before them, before Pilate, who was the ruler, kind of the Roman ruler in this territory. And Pilate, this pagan, Roman, godless ruler, when he didn't want to put Jesus to death because it just felt off to him. He's like, I don't, this isn't right. This man seems innocent. I don't want to do this. Peter's saying, remember when he did that and you pushed forward and made sure that he was killed? You chose to release Barabbas, right? This other murderer who was on trial and you sent Jesus to the cross instead. And he starts using this really kind of terrifying language, right? He's saying Jesus was the one who was glorified by God and yet you denied him. He was the holy and righteous one, and yet you condemned him. He was the author of life, and yet you killed him. You killed him, and yet God raised him from the dead. He is alive, and we are witnesses to his resurrection. Be amazed by this, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man that you crucified, he is alive, and it is by his name, and it's by faith in his name that this man is standing and leaping in front of you right now. Put yourselves in those people's shoes for a second. What would it be like to be in the crowd and come to that realization? You've just witnessed one of the most incredible moments of your life. This person you've watched your entire life as you've walked into the temple, always there, always lame. And all of a sudden you're standing. You've witnessed the most incredible moment of your entire life and in the next moment your entire life has just been shattered completely shattered. This man that you hung on the cross and tortured and killed, his name, his name is powerful enough to make this man who was crippled his whole life all of a sudden be healed. His name is that powerful. And you crucified him. His blood is on your hands the most incredible moment that most of these people have ever seen is now evidence against them that they have committed the greatest atrocity the world has ever known. You killed the author of life. And this is fresh for them. They remember the sound of Jesus crying out as they whipped his back and slammed down the crown of thorns on his head. They remember him stumbling up the hill to Golgotha as he's crumbling under the weight of his cross. They remember the sound of the spikes being driven through his hands and feet into the cross. They remember the sound of his breaths becoming shorter and shorter until he finally didn't breathe anymore. They remember it because they were there and they did it. What kind of screams and wails 
would come out of a crowd that just realized that's what they had done. Like what kind of horror fills your soul when you realize that the blood that is on your hands is the blood of the holy and righteous sinless son of God? Have you, have you ever wept over your sin? I mean wept. Like unbelievable weeping where you can't control it. Have you ever been so completely shattered and undone by the choices that you have made and the life that you have lived that it feels like you have lost the ability to take a single step forward? Probably not like these people did. My guess is that these people wailed in unceasing anguish, maybe not in this moment, but for the years to come over the choices that they had made in a ways that we have never done in our lives. This crowd of people, they were amazed that a lame man who was once helpless and completely needy was healed. That's what they were amazed about. But the story, it's not really about this man. No, the story is about how everyone in the crowd was actually just like him. See, this man, he couldn't stand. He, he couldn't step forward. He, he wasn't inside the temple, kind of this place that represents the, kind of the presence of God. He wasn't inside it. He was outside the gate. And he couldn't even get himself there. He had to be physically carried there because he didn't have the power to move on his own. And spiritually, Every single person in the crowd is exactly like this man. They're not standing on their own two feet, but they are crumbled in a pile on the ground. They are completely crushed under the weight of their sin. They are completely and utterly dependent. They are completely in need. And it's in that moment it's in that moment that all of a sudden the gospel began to become good news for them. Because while they heard Jesus take his last breaths on the cross, they also heard him say those stunning, earth-shattering words, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they do. And Peter continues, and, and it, it seems like what's going to happen is he's like, you killed the author of life. Now, you are going to face the revenge and vengeance of God. And that's not what he says. What he says is stunning. He says that now, brothers, in verse 17, he says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He's like, yeah, you did this, but this was part of God's plan. And he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. His advice to them 
is not be condemned. His advice to them is not wail and mourn and face judgment. His advice to the people who have the blood of Jesus on their hands is repent. Repent to agree with God that you are guilty, to, to agree with him that you are completely needy and hopeless. And, but not just that, but also to turn from your sin, to turn from this kind of path you're on and turn away from that and actually put your faith in Jesus. Repentance and faith, those are the two things that happen in this passage to turn from your sin and change your mind about the life you are living and instead to place your trust and faith and life in the hands of the Savior who is crucified on your behalf. It isn't just that you confess your sin, but you actually turn from your life of sin to follow Jesus and worship him alone. And he says that when you do this, your sins will actually be blotted out. How can you possibly blot out sin like that? But he says that's what this is about. Your sins will be blotted out completely. That times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, this Jesus who is now in heaven that one day is gonna come back to restore all things about which the prophet spoke long ago. This Jesus who will restore all things. This Jesus who one day will create a world where all the sick are healed, where all sorrows will be wiped away. And when these people hear this message, that's what they do. They repent. They believe. They put their faith in Jesus and more people come into the family of God. And now there aren't just 3,000 people, but actually at the end of this story, it said that there are 5,000 men alone who are part of the first church. That's who filled the very first church. These people. And the question that I always think of is why? Like why are these the first people in the church. Why start the kingdom of God with the people who killed the God King? Why don't you just go outside the city somewhere else where they didn't take part in this? The reason that the church from the very beginning was filled with the very people who crucified Jesus is because it is only these kind of people who would be able to celebrate the gospel as the most amazing news in the entire world. Put yourself in these people's shoes. You crucified the Savior. You destroyed God's Son. You killed the author of life. What possible standing do you have with God now? None. That's the point. None. Zero. You have no leg to stand on. You have nothing you could possibly bring and say, well, yeah, God, I killed your son, but this, no, nothing. That's the point. The blood of the son of God was on their hands and it was fresh. And, and you need to listen to this. The, the church was filled with the very people who crucified Jesus because those are the only kind of people who see the forgiveness and grace of Jesus as the best news in the entire world. Those are the only kind of people that view it that way. 
I remember my freshman year of college, the, the first time that the story of Jesus just like stabbed into my life. I had spent my entire life justifying my sin, always justifying my sin, always had an excuse, always had a reason, always could kind of explain why I was doing the things I was doing, living the life I was living, and finally I just stopped. I stopped justifying it, and I actually just repented. I saw my sin. I saw the devastation that had come from the choices that I've made. I was guilty. Jesus was hanging on the cross because of my sin, because of my addiction to pornography, because of my greed, because of my arrogance and harsh words, because of my selfishness. I wasn't there in Jerusalem shouting crucify him, but my life shouted that each and every day, and it still does. And when I lift my hands in worship, they too are stained with the blood of the good king. The news of the gospel that Jesus saves sinners, it is the best news in the entire world, but it is only good news after it crushes you. It's only the best news in the world after it strips us of everything. When you realize that you have no righteousness, when you realize that you have nothing to bring to God, when you come to the cross empty-handed, needy, filthy, it's only when you realize that you are the man slumped outside of the gate, that's when Jesus lifts you up with his grace. He takes your shame, he takes your guilt, and he gives you forgiveness. He gives you his righteousness. He trades his life for yours. He becomes the lame man that is outside of the presence of God, and he becomes the guilty one, and we become the sons and daughters of God. You know, some of you, you got a ride tonight, and you're here for the very first time, and it's awesome. I'm glad you guys are here, but some of you guys, you've been coming to Salt Company every single week for like months now, and, and that one of the things that you just can't understand is you look around the room, and you look at some of these other people, and like they're raising their hands in worship, and it's not like a facade. Like they just really are that filled with joy to worship Jesus, and, and they're reading their Bible, and, and they're talking to you about all the amazing things they're learning about Jesus and how much they love him, and, and you just don't get it. Like you don't you don't get why they're so about Jesus. Like their pursuit of him, how much they've given up to follow Jesus, it just makes no sense to you at all. And there's a ton of reasons that might be. But maybe the reason that you don't get Jesus the way these people get Jesus is because while you have been defending yourself from Jesus and his cross, they have let themselves be crushed by it. Maybe the reason that you don't overflow with worship for the Savior is because you are still trying to be your own Savior. You know what is more amazing than one person coming up on the stage and being healed from some staggering illness or disability? You know what's more amazing than that? 500 people in a room who once were dead and had been made alive by the blood of Jesus. That is way, 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 way more amazing than someone who is lame being able to walk again. And so the question I wanna ask you tonight is, is that your story? 
have you met Jesus as this man who is completely needy and completely helpless and has no ability to save himself? Have you met Jesus like this crowd of people that is completely crushed under the weight of their sins so that they cannot take a single step forward to God on their own and they know that and so the only thing they can possibly do is receive grace completely? Is that your story, meeting Jesus like that? And if it's not, it can be your story tonight. Following Jesus is so simple. You don't have to do anything. The only thing you have to do is actually just stop trying to do something and receive grace. All you have to do is turn away from your sin, repent of your sin, and put your faith in Jesus. And if you want that to be your story, it can be your story tonight. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for the opportunity to preach in this new space. And Jesus, thanks for saving us. God, as we were all those people that were so, so unable to save ourselves, God, so desperate, so needy, I feel like there have been so many times in my life, Jesus, where you have met me at the pits of despair. The times in my life where I've just been honest with who I am and the choices I've made. And I finally get to just the very bottom of who I am and I'm so hopeless in that. And it's in those moments that I see you there standing above me saying, rise up, walk. Jesus, thank you for doing that. And God, would all of us be able to take one step closer to you tonight? In your name, amen.